1: At Luckylandslots.com.
0: Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW group, void were prohibited by law. 18 plus turns and conditions apply.
2: Welcome into another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. I'm Neil McCready. Chris Landry with me as well. It is game week. That is the rumor that is out there. <laughs> the uh, the rumor, one that I've confirmed from multiple sources, is that the Southeastern Conference intends to play football games on gridirons around the southeast this very weekend. I will <laughs> believe it when I see it with my own two eyes, but I, I I feel journalistically sound in telling you that sources tell me that is the plan. So we'll talk about uh, those rumored games here in a little bit. Uh, also, uh, the weekend that was kind of a catastrophic from an injury standpoint weekend that was in the NFL, and um, a certain NFL quarterback, did not look like himself last night, so we might uh, we might talk about that. you know, Chris, as we get going, and I'll give you the the uh, the very watered down version of this saying, there are two things in life that are undefeated <laughs> one <laughs> one is father time he has he has never lost and he looks like he has thrown some punches at one drew Brees.
3: you know it is um we tend to get fooled people ask me oh kiko you know cuz what we're seeing with brady and breeze is not normal folks okay and we are in an era where we know so much more about nutrition and pliability and proper way to extend your physical life. And what's the saying fifties, the new 30, or mm-hmm. I don't know where that is. Cause it says hell don't apply to me, but, um, it, it, to, to a lot of folks, it just, um, it, it, we just tend to assume that it's going to be the same. And I always say that when it happens and it is when it hits you, it hits you, and it it's it it's not a decline; it's a fall off a cliff. Now, <clears throat> before people panic, I mean there there is a certain expectation. You know, Drew Brees and Tom Brady, believe it or not, have been declining for a few years. This is not like this hasn't fallen off of a cliff, but it's getting worse. And what it does, it get exposed; it gets exposed at certain times and elements. And I think we saw it, you know, with with the Saints not being able to go vertically uh that's something that Drew w- was able to do now everything's about the horizontal game well Michael Thomas is their horizontal game it, it he he forces you to bracket coverage so much that it creates opportunities so Drew's able to work the field left to right you know and, and instead of vertically horizontally and I think what we're seeing is the inability maybe of guys to be as consistently open. Drew's not as comfortable with where they're going to be and as comfortable with, I'm going to throw it. and Mike's going to go get it <clears throat> that we we see some of the issues. And I think the turning point was, all right, <clears throat> tailor-made situation. Saints up three. They get the ball a minute and change left to go in the half. You know they're going down the field and getting at least three, if not seven. Boom. Turnover. The Raiders get the three. So that is a six, if not a ten-point flip. The Raiders get the ball to start the third quarter. And all of a sudden the defense is reeling. The defense is on the field. The defense did not tackle very well last night, by the way, for the Saints. And the offense doesn't have quite as many answers. Um, So look, it's real. It's not like season's over, it's done, but it is going to be quite the challenge, quite the chore for Breeze and I'll throw in Brady to be able to accomplish what they've always accomplished week in and week out. And we just take for granted it's going to happen again. This is going to be the last year for Breeze. Looks like Brady wants to stay another year. We'll see how the rest of this season plays out and how it goes. But no, just it uh, But I would not, I would not count the competitiveness out of Drew Brees and Michael Thomas gets back. They're still better than a lot of teams, but that's a team that the Saints are better than last night, and they couldn't get it done. Uh,
2: look, the NFC South a year ago was considered this great division. It's not now. Not very good at all, in fact. Tampa looks very mediocre. The Panthers look very mediocre, and they just lost McCaffrey for four to six weeks. We'll talk about injuries in a minute. And the Falcons, Falcons are 0-2, and if they lose to Chicago on Sunday, they're in deep trouble early in the season. But I still, I couldn't help but wonder at times last night, there is a quarterback on the Saints roster who has a cannon for a right arm, an absolute thunderbolt for a right arm. Now, he doesn't have Drew Brees' football acumen to this point. But Father Time hasn't caught Jameis Winston yet. Is there a scenario where if you're Sean Payton and the Saints, you say, hey, Drew, that hamstring's bothering you, huh? Maybe no, we
3: no, I can tell you. Um, I don't think that Jameis Winston – option is there the turnovers or you know even yeah. with Sean I think Sean realizes oh boy this is a challenge I, I think this I'll go the opposite if Drew Brees gets injured remember last year he got injured and they went five and zero with Teddy Bridgewater Drew Brees misses four games they're not going five and zero with Jameis Winston So their best chance, their only chance is with Drew Brees to be able to, you know, it's, again, the issue is not Drew's physical skills because that has eroded for a while. The issue is when you don't feel comfortable in the pocket, which he does not, and why doesn't he feel comfortable? It's a little bit of new weapons, Manuel Sanders, young guys that have been there but not a lot of reps, Jarrett Cook, who can be where he's supposed to be at times, at other times not, that becomes an issue where Drew knows where to go with the ball. But if the receivers are not there and he's not confident in them, he's a little bit slow to pull the trigger. And that leads to some of the problems. And that leads leads to the hesitation. That's, you know, that's the problem and the ability to be able to kind of become a little bit more comfortable with those guys is the saints only chance you put Jameis Winston at quarterback for the saints. And all of a sudden, uh, Atlanta's back in it. Tampa's the favorite and the saints go, you know, right there near the bottom of the division. I, I think the one thing that gives the saints a chance, is that over time, I think Drew's going to become more comfortable and the guys are going to become comfortable with him. And the health is going to be what it is. If it is, they'll be better. And the other thing is, I don't see anybody in the NFC yet. It's only two weeks that's ready to jump out and say, that's the best team. It's not as top-heavy as the AFC. So Green Bay's off to a good start. Will that continue? There's no team in the East. There's, you know, in, in the West,
2: Seattle George, is awfully good.
3: Seattle's good. Um, green Bay's good, but the saints, while maybe a little bit below, not that far behind them. And I think that there's, you know, room, I think Arizona maybe could make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a chance now. I don't, I don't know that there's. Um, a great chance, and I would make Seattle and Green Bay favorites over the Saints right now, but it's but it's really early, and we'll see, you know, how this thing develops. But there's definitely the problems that are there are real for Drew Brees.
2: I will say that my Chicago Bears are two-0, and, and I really don't want to hear your breakdown right now. Okay, just just let me enjoy two and oh just leave it. I know I can tell in your th- your body language—you're just ready to rip them apart. No, 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 no. I listen. I don't want to hear it right now. I, Mitch, I
3: to... Mitch made some nice throws this past week.
2: He did. He made some beautiful he, throws.
3: Don't don't apologize for any wins. Move on. Yep. Take care of business. They have.
2: They they're two and zero oh, undefeated. They're as good as you could be after two games. <laughs> as long
3: as you don't look at the film, Neil. But we're not going to talk about that because you told no, me not
2: to. We we, we we're not going to look at the film. <laughs> you know. Because sometimes, sometimes, uh, sometimes the film will bring you down, and I, I don't want to be brought down right now. I want to, I want to revel, I want to revel and undefeated while I can. It, it, I get to it, revel and shine the
3: light on the mole, and you don't want to do that. It's no,
2: I'm just teasing. Uh, I just, I'm just, just Turn the lights off. Everybody <laughs> looks prettier in the dark, and uh, and we're two and zero. Oh. All right. So uh, the other topic in the NFL before we get to the the college stuff, SEC games this weekend. That's the rumor. What's not a rumor, unfortunately, is there were a lot of injuries in the NFL on Sunday. Uh, I mentioned the Bears game. The Bears played the New York Giants. Saquon Barkley goes down in the second quarter with an ACL tear. Uh, that was just the beginning of sort of a, a black Sunday, if you will, in the NFL. A lot of injuries: Bosa and um, McCaffrey, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, a lot of guys. You know, about Saquon 20- Barkley. Yeah, I mentioned Saquon at there. I'm sorry. <clears> okay, <throat> at the very beginning. What do you attribute that to? Is it just a fluke or is this the first tangible uh, byproduct of this was not a a typical offseason? This was not a typical training season. These guys might be super fit, but they're not football fit.
3: There's no way to say for certain that these injuries would not have occurred had we had a normal offseason and training camp and preseason. There's no way to say, yeah, that happened because of this. What I do know is what I've said for some time that the lack of a true off season preparatory to training camp preparatory to preseason preparatory to the regular season just creates a lot of problems as it relates mainly to soft tissue injuries and the ability to prepare your body for the physical element is something that, um, Hurt you when you get into the physical process of playing football. As I use this analogy all the time, and I know it sounds kind of goofy, but it is something people can relate to. Some people can. If you're going to try to train for a 10K or 5K or a marathon, even, you don't get up out of bed and start running 15 miles. You get up and you run whatever it is that you, you know, a mile, two miles and you gradually
2: into having done it week one of week one of marathon training. If you're in shape to run week, one of marathon training is Monday. You cross train Tuesday. You run three miles Wednesday. You run four miles Thursday. You want, you run three miles. You take Friday off. You run four miles on Saturday. And then you do your first quote, long run of about five miles on Sunday. And then on week two, you start to build on those numbers. So yeah, you're exactly right. The You don't in marathon training, you don't get to double digit mile runs until the sixth or seventh week.
3: Yeah. And so there's some similarities to the, all right, yeah, but these guys are in shape. Yeah. These guys are working out. Yeah. They're working on cardiovascular work. That's fine. But the physical work, the physical contact, the ideal way to prepare your body for football is to hit a little bit somewhere in March, back off, come back again in May, work your way up, hit a little bit in May, and then do it again late June and then ready for training camp in July. You kind of hit back off, hit back off. You've got to prepare your body physically and you've got to rest your body and along with other nutrition stuff. But the inability to do that at the optimal level to prepare is caused a compressed effort to try to figure this out. And I just think it increases the risk of injuries. And again, I can't say that it is this one is tied to the lack of an offseason, And this one is not don't know. I just, it's just common sense. It's just, um, uh, that that it, it it just increases the chances of having a problem, just like speeding would increase the chances of a wreck it doesn't mean you will get a wreck, you could go five miles below the speed limit and get totaled, and you could go you know break the speed limit and not get i mean it, it, there's no way of knowing it's just not optimal it was something we feared it was something the medical um professionals in football have been saying all summer and we've been writing about talking about on Landry football that beware the soft tissue injuries I just even though you're you're aware of it, you don't know who when and where Neil my goodness you read off the list and it's just common in waves and you wonder what's next and you know maybe I mean is it going to slow down it is it is a bit is a big time a lot of I can't remember as many big-time, talented, impactful players that's going to impact a season in one week as this past week.
2: Yeah. Your hope is that as guys play more football, their bodies get conditioned to football and the, the number of injuries slow down. But again, there were no preseason games. And no matter what you do in practice, it's hard to simulate games in practices, even at the NFL level. As good as those coaches are, as great as the players are, all that stuff. It's it's very difficult to simulate putting on a game uniform and going out and playing another team when you're playing yet, your own teammates in time. And you
3: don't have 85 man rosters.
2: Yeah, and you didn't have you know, one of the things, and we talked about it a little bit early on, on some of our first shows. One of the things that got lost in this preseason that no one really talked about was you didn't get those camp scrimmages where maybe the lions would scrimmage the Jaguars for two or three days in camp, you know, or or the one day was lion's day and the next day was Jaguars day. You know, Hey, we want to work on this today. All right. This is your day. All right. Tomorrow we want to work on this. Okay. I mean, coaches know each other. All these guys know each other. They've worked together for different places and all that stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, maybe you find a team that's not on your 16 game schedule and you scrimmage them and you work on different things. But that also, in addition to getting the work in schematically, it lets the bodies get used to the contact.
3: Well, and you, you get less reps because instead of going up against your own, you're going up against somebody else. So you've got more rest between reps and it's, you know, more productive and you can get more work done. You can do more things because again, less reps. So no, it isn't an issue. It is a problem. It is something that everybody has to deal with. And most people only care about the product on the field. But as we have said, how you practice is how you play and how, you know, you're able to get things done in practice is going to affect how things are done um, on game day. And I think we're starting to see some of it.
2: Okay, so we're going to switch gears. I told you uh, I had some sources that I've talked to who've told me that the SEC intends to play football this weekend. And so, you, you heard
3: it here first. You're breaking uh, news. Do we have any breaking news?
2: Breaking news. <laughs> given that this is called SEC football and beyond, well, thought maybe we should talk about it. Um, seven games on the slate. Kentucky is at Auburn. Florida at Ole Miss. Those two games at 11 a.m., all of these are central times. Mississippi State and LSU, it's the CBS game at 2.30. They're in Baton Rouge. Uh, Georgia and Arkansas play in Fayetteville, 3 o'clock. That's on SEC Network. I should mention earlier, Kentucky and Auburn on the SEC Network at 11. Florida at Ole Miss on ESPN at 11. Lane Kiffin's debut as the Ole Miss coach. Sam Pittman's debut at Arkansas at 3. there against Georgia. Eliah Drinkwitz in Missouri, his first game at Missouri. They welcome Alabama in at 6 p.m. You can watch that game on ESPN. Tennessee is at South Carolina at uh, 6.30, that game on the SEC Network. And Vanderbilt is at Texas A&M. That game also at 6.30. You can check, check it out on the SEC Network alternate channel. I'll let you uh, let you be the guy that picks it. Which game? Which game interests you the most? Which game do you want to kind of break down first?
3: Boy, that Vanderbilt AM and just really gets my juices. It going.
2: does me too. I was so hoping you'd say that.
3: I, 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 watch, watch it be a good game? And say well, what an idiot you are, Landrick. Of course, we could say that anyway. But um, I, you know, uh, Kentucky Auburn's really intriguing. I think that this Kentucky team is very physical. Will challenge Auburn. Um, maybe more than maybe the Auburn folks may think. We'll see. Um, I think Tennessee, South Carolina is an intriguing game that um, I do like Tennessee a little bit better at the line of scrimmage, but I am curious to see how they play early, uh, what they're able to do at the quarterback position, what both of these teams are able to do at the quarterback position. It's a you know, it's a it's a game that both and everybody thinks they can win, but this is a game both should feel like they could win this. So um I might even put Tennessee, South Carolina just a tick ahead of Auburn, Kentucky, but both are I kind of I use the the old the, the pro personnel grading scale, you know, blue, red, uh, purple is how you grade players color wise. So I always do, I don't know why, cause so ingrained for 35 plus years now. So I even, I do everything. So I even grade games going in, which most interested in no blue games, but red games, I would put Kentucky, Auburn and Tennessee, South Carolina. I would say that, um, that there's some other intrigues. I do want to see the penny. You can speak to this it was people remember the famous Tebow game and the whole, you know, they put the statue because what he said, now, that was cause Ole Miss beat him back in the day. And, uh, wondering, I'm, I'm curious to see what the Mississippi schools will do. Florida is certainly better. How will Florida play this? How will Lane Kiffin play this and what type of offense and how sharp will they be on the other hand, across the state? Um, uh, a downstate, I guess is the proper way, is what is Mississippi State going to do? They're going to throw it, you know, 75 times you know, this week because, you know, I, against LSU, against a new look LSU, LSU, I think will focus a lot on the run. We'll, we'll kind of see how this one will play out. So that's intriguing. Um, it, You know, and seriously, AM Georgia, Alabama, just take care of business, show up, do what you're supposed to do. And really how you play is not going to affect whether you should win or lose this game. Your, your thoughts.
2: Uh, Yeah, I I think I agree with that. I look at Kentucky and Auburn and Kentucky intrigues me and I don't know why, but they have all, all all year. I think Auburn's got a chance to be a really good team. Auburn has a ton of talent on the defensive side of the ball Mm -hmm. and they have an experienced quarterback coming back in Bo Nix and, and, I give Nicks a higher grade than a lot of people do a year ago because he was a true freshman he uh, he had moments he had bad moments uh, he played poorly in Gainesville was probably one of the big reasons they lost that game played pretty well down the stretch though played pretty well against Alabama um, played okay in their bowl game you know I anticipate that he will make a jump for his sophomore year because it's not new um. Now they don't have some of the, the offensive line talent that they've had there in years past. They might not even have some of the skill talent that they've had there in years past. But they're really good on the defensive side. They're deep. Uh, they they have guys who can get uh, good players on all all three levels on defense. That's going to keep them in games. And with a veteran quarterback, and by the end of his sophomore year, he'll be a veteran quarterback. With a veteran quarterback, you can you can steal some of those kinds of games. So Auburn intrigues me a lot. As I think they're, a, if you told me that they're more of a contender in the West than LSU, I might believe it, and I think Alabama's the prohibitive favorite in the West. I, th- I think it's Alabama's division to lose. You're right about Florida and Ole Miss. Look, I it was my first year on the Ole Miss beat when Ole Miss went to Florida and beat Tim Tebow and the boys. People like to call that game a fluke. It was a weird game, but it wasn't a fluke. It was a really good Ole Miss team that had when they started the season they just were so beat up they'd come off that was the first year of Houston nut post Ed Orgeron they even Ed Orgeron has admitted that was a different Ed Orgeron than the Ed Orgeron today he he had beaten that team down I don't think he did it intentionally but he had beaten that team down emotionally mentally a little bit and uh, they didn't know how to win the week before they went to Florida, they had lost at home to Vanderbilt. Ole Miss that season lost to Wake Forest, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina. They it was that was the uh, like a four week swing there, Chris. That was really fascinating to watch psychology. <laughs> Ole Miss plays Vanderbilt at home, loses, goes to Florida as God, they had to be a twenty something point underdog. Win really kind of handled Florida at the line of scrimmage. Jevin Sneed, the late Jevin Sneed, had a, uh, had a remarkably good game. Ole Miss had weapons on that team. Mike Wallace, Shea Hodge, you know, there were a lot of guys on that team that could play. They win that game 31-30, to 30, if I recall correctly. They turn around the next week on the cover of Sports Illustrated <laughs> and lose at home to a very average South Carolina team. Then they go to Alabama, one of Nick Saban's first good teams. No, not one of. His first good Alabama team. Uh, fell behind, came back, had the football, driving with the chance to win in Tuscaloosa. Didn't quite get it done. Jevin Sneed missed a wide open Mike Wallace, if I remember. Didn't get it done. But walking off the field, there that team had a little different look to them. That team did not lose again. That team... Went to Fayetteville and won an emotionally charged game. Houston Nuts returned to Arkansas. It uh, went down to Baton Rouge and absolutely pummeled LSU at the line of scrimmage. Blew LSU out of Tiger Stadium, which is something that doesn't happen very frequently, as you know. Uh, Destroyed ULM, destroyed Mississippi State, and then went to the Cotton Bowl and played Mike Leach's Texas Tech team. And just whipped them up and down the field. By the end of that season, Ole Miss was probably one of the top five teams in the country. If you you know threw out records and said who's the best five teams right now, Ole Miss would have been in that mix. So it, when people say you know that, that was a fluke, it wasn't. I say all that to say this: I don't see a scenario where this Ole Miss team beats Florida. Is there a scenario where Florida has a weird start? It's been a weird offseason for everybody. Florida's had COVID issues that have, I would assume, prevented them from having some of the continuity that they would like to have. It'll be a weird environment for everybody. Um, if you told me that Ole Miss was in the game and had a chance to do something late, I'd say sure because it's college football and it's early in the season. My concern for Ole Miss, as much as everyone focuses on quarterbacks, when I look at Ole Miss, they put out their depth chart yesterday. I just don't see enough up front on their defensive line to give them a real opportunity to to compete late into games against the best teams in the league, and I do think Florida is one of those teams.
3: A couple of things that intrigue me um, about some of these games, games within the game. Um, I think I know what Florida is, and I for Ole Miss – the newness of how they're going to look and what Lane is going to do offensively with the understanding that they're limited at the line of scrimmage. Auburn, it's early. It's a long season. Um, Chad Morris's impact.
2: Uh, I mean, a minute, you say you know what Florida is for the people who are out there. Saying, mm-hmm. so what is Florida? If you had to Well, a, a, Florida a, a good going to team,
3: be? good quarterback, really good tight end. I think they'll be able to run the football pretty well. Lose some guys on defense, but pretty solid. I mean, I, I think I know what they are. And I also know what they are not. I don't think they're as talented as Georgia, but they're really good. So I want to see if they play up to it. And I don't know, like kind of you're alluding to, I don't know that, that there, this game's in danger, uh, you know, in any way, even if they play poorly, it may be style points wise, but you know, you never know it's why you play it. So I'm curious to see. Um, whereas, you know, with Ole Miss, I, I, I know what I think, I know Lane well enough to know what I think he wants it to look like, but also knows he's, he's not there yet talent wise. And that's the, you're right. The difference um, between the last time. but And in, in this game has been kind of weird. They don't play a lot. I think they've only they played under 30 times in the history of this league. They don't play each other very much. I think it's like 24, 25, 26, 28, whatever times. And not a lot of times, you know, that'll, they've been in the SEC a long time, these two teams. They had not played much at all. And it's been kind of weird in some games. So that intrigues me. What, what I am going back to Auburn is, What is Chad Morris's impact going to be? For example, one of the things he does very well that's different than Gus, and they're very close and they think a lot schematically, but the one thing that Chad does very well is work with quarterbacks and really has some good concepts of the passing game. How much of that's going to be implemented is going to determine greatly how good this Auburn team can be and whether they can be the second best team in the West or, you know, whatever, with they, you know, what they're able to get through because I think they're very capable. But Chad's style, believe it or not, is a little different than Gus's, but Gus has more trust than Chad. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. They should beat Kentucky. They are more talented. But like I said, to use the same thing, I know what Kentucky is and I know what Kentucky is going to look like curious to see a little bit what Auburn looks like I do think that Mississippi State LSU is intriguing game within the game go ahead
2: back up on Kentucky so yeah I always like to do this with the football gods the football gods come down and tell you hey Chris Kentucky wins this game on Saturday what would you assume happened
3: they're able to run the football control the time the time of possession win the turnover battle um they're going to play a lot of zone here. They could maybe force some, some pressure and maybe get a couple of picks or a couple of turnovers. And I think they could keep the ball away from Auburn's offense to reduce their possessions by one-a-half. I think that's the formula. I, I think Kentucky, line of scrimmage very good they do a very good job of work and play action in the passing game, but they're not going to beat you. If this gets into like a tempo scoring, I don't like Kentucky's chances in that type of game. It's just completely different. It's a, it's the complete opposite of how they like to play basketball. It's, it's going to be a half court game and close to the line of scrimmage type of game. That's what has to happen in my view. Um, but you know, those are kind of the games within the game and, you know um i'm curious to see with mississippi state lsu is how it looks both ways lsu new pass game coordinator new quarterback young weapons young different you know there's a lot of folks you know god bless them that think oh it, hey miles Brent, hey joe burrow did it and miles Brent. you know and it's just one of those things that's a complete different and a lot of things are different. So how much will the end result look the same, and what will Mississippi State do? How much will they challenge the defense? Um, Bo Pelini is – people forget Bo Pelini's coming in as the defense coordinator, and he's hyper-aggressive. How will Mike try to do that? What will KJ, KJ, KJ do? I mean, a lot of things, that I'm curious to see what they did.
2: One of the things that people have always said about Mike Leach, whether it was wherever he might end up, whether it was at one point Tennessee or Kentucky or now Mississippi State, is does this offense that he likes to run, and he's been really successful with it at at Texas Tech, at Washington State, does this offense that he likes to run, can it work against the speed of the SEC? Not just the secondary, but the the guys up front, the linebackers, linebackers who can cover, safeties who can get to the quarterback quickly from blitz-type deals. Does this offense work against that? Is it versatile enough or is it so one dimensional that SEC speed will stop it?
3: Long range, it will have a hard time unless Mike is willing to adjust, which he's not always willing to do.
2: So when you say that, let me let me interrupt you because okay. <clears throat> I sure <think, throat> I think my role as we go forward in this is going to be to speak up for the football idiots, since you are a, a football savant. When you say adjust, you mean Adjust schematically? Adjust strategically?
3: Yeah. So, basically, what you can't do, if you're going to win, and let's define success at Mississippi State. Could they beat teams, pull an upset, and win seven games? If that's good enough, and I'm not talking this year, in a normal year, then – then I think he's capable of doing that.
2: Well, I can tell you their expectations are higher than that.
3: I know that, but I mean, you know, that's if if I'm just saying some some people outside Mississippi State think, hey, that's getting it done at Mississippi State. Okay, that's pretty much what you can do. Now, are they good for an upset? And when I say long term, it's going to be difficult. Look, I think it'll cause some schematic challenges defensively when you look at it. I mean, you got a lot of film that you will look at. The ball's going to come out quick and they're going to use those huge line splits and they're going to negate your pass rush. So you're going to have to not bite again, rushing, not bite against rushing and playing cover and rally to the ball because, you know, I think what you're going to do is get caught up field and as he get the type of talent that he wants, they'll be able to have some success throwing it a bunch. The problem, the biggest problem Mike's going to have is his offensive philosophy kills his defense. people will be able to kill that Mississippi State defense time and time again, running it and limiting their possessions. And that's going to be the problem he's going to have until, and people will say, well, he's going to recruit a lot differently at Mississippi State because he's at a place where there's closer proximity to talent. That's not Mike's thing. Mike Leach's thing is he thinks the, football is is in his brain it's it's he's more important than the players in his mind I, recruiting will be incrementally better because he is from a geographic standpoint closer to more really good talent but he's not going to go out not recruit you know or recruit at the level of the the upper tier west teams no nobody did. Dan Mullen did but Dan Mullen was able to do things a little bit more creatively and I think defensively play well. We're talking about a team in a in a coach and Mike that and and he's done this before, not to this degree, but gave up a 50 point lead in one quarter against UCLA. Let me say that again. Five-o point lead in one quarter. Yeah. You, you can't, you know, and and those things. You're never out of a game with them because you can you can come back on them and score as quickly as you want or as slow as you want. That's going to be the big issue. But I do think people are going to get excited because I think it's going to look different. It's going to throw it a bunch. But I don't think, you know, this is not Steve Spurrier going to Florida with a bunch of athletes, throwing it all around with Iker and Redell R- R- Anthony and Annie Werfel and Werfel. It's, it's not going to be that. I think it's going to be You know it's going to look different. It's going to have some success because he's going to pull an upset. Oh, you see, but he's also going to lose game. He gets outcoached as much as he outcoaches. I mean, he really does. People just don't know that. the The biggest difference going to be off the field is that when you have those goofy comments when you talk about players and their fat little girlfriends and all the goofy things that he does it gets a little play in Pullman, you know, people pick it up nationally and, you know, and, uh, from Lubbock and Pullman a little bit, you're going to be front and center. That's going to be the headline on the SEC network and nationally, because now, you know, the full Mike Leach is going to be <laughs> on display and he's in a Mississippi state. Starkville is not, you know, is, is it, it, it's not the the biggest, but the profile of the SEC football is going to put him more in the spotlight. So, I I think it's intriguing hire. I'm excited. I know Mike very well, but I think there are going to be limitations there. And I don't think this is going to work out as good as people think. People that think, oh man, the West is going to change it, because now you got Leach and you throw him in, he ain't ever going to get into to you know other than maybe a pull on an upset. Neil, he ain't ever going to get Mississippi State top five or top 10 like like Dan Mullen did in my mind.
2: So you, of the four new hires, in terms of the fit, not the guy, not the coach, you're the most pessimistic about Leach and Mississippi State. Am I right?
3: Yeah, I think um, – yeah, I probably would. Yeah, I probably would. I mean, I, listen, I think, I think it's a tough job at Mizzou and Arkansas right now but I think it's more job. I think Mississippi state is maybe a little bit further along and just kind of were derailed a little bit with a bad fit with Moorhead. I think this has a chance in a completely different personality way to be just as bad of a fit as Joe Moorhead was. Wow.
2: All right. We're going to talk about some other games in just a minute. First, let me tell you that this podcast is also brought to you by Jupiter security systems based in Madison, Mississippi, Jupiter security systems provides your business with the help desk, allowing you to get software at a much cheaper price than you would pay going directly to Microsoft or the different cybersecurity services. Jupiter Security Systems offers businesses the full Microsoft 365 suite, email spam protection, and they monitor workstations and servers. Jupyter uh, doesn't see your data, by the way, but they'll know if malicious applications get installed on your computers. Jupyter can set up remote monitoring on a computer regardless of the location, so don't spend money on getting your employees new laptops to work remotely. Instead, let Jupiter monitor their home computers and protect your data wherever you choose to work. Again, they don't see what's going on on your computer, but they know what they do know if malicious applications get installed and they can stop that. They're ADT for your computer systems and data. It's very affordable, flat price, no hidden add-ons. You can learn more at, by calling Eric at 601 601- 519 9583, or you can email info at jupitersecurity.net, or you can visit jupitersecurity.net. This show, by the way, getting uh, really good download numbers for a brand new show. A lot of people listening to it, a lot of people really enjoying Chris's football uh, breakdowns, and we haven't even gotten to the point. A week from today, we'll be able to break down actual games that have been played on actual fields by actual people. And we'll be able to talk about those games, what went right, what went wrong, uh, trends, those kinds of things. It's going to be a really exciting time. If you want to be a part of this show from an advertising standpoint, get in touch with me. You can get in touch with Chris. I'll put our uh, I'll put our Twitter uh, handles up here just a minute on the stream. You can email me at neilmccrady at gmail.com. I don't mind putting it out there. McCrady at gmail.com. Send me an email. I'll get back to you about advertising here on SEC football and beyond okay we talked about the three early games chris let's get into some of the three o'clock and on games i know from who's going to win and who's going to lose we know we know what's going to happen in Fayetteville. if you're an arkansas fan watching georgia at arkansas arkansas 24 and a half point underdog there at reynolds razorback stadium if you're an arkansas fan watching that game what are you looking for
3: i think you're well i think with you should be looking for is how your team competes. Um, and I think that's going to give you an idea, you know, how it looks if you compete hard, which I fully expect them to do, how far they have to go. We know it's a long way, but in terms of line of scrimmage, uh, we know that's what Sam wants to become a little bit more physical. And I don't think you can draw all the conclusions. Based upon what they to how they look in schematically, as to what they want to be long term. But I do think you can get a little bit of an idea. I do think that that what they're going to want to do is to be able to improve that roster at the line of scrimmage, offensively, defensively, get more defensive personnel. I'm I'm curious to see how they play defensively, uh, how they attack, how aggressive they are. We've talked about Barry. I think Barry's a good coach, but they're devoid of personnel. How they're going to match up. Uh, how much pressure they're going to bring how much comfort do they have in bringing a lot of pressure how much base would they look out of their base um you know their gap control things like that i look for you know those are things you can teach and you can play regardless of your talent level and then if you can do that well then the only variable is to upgrade your talent but if you don't do those things well then then obviously you've got a, a double-edged sword of trying to Improve what you're doing and how you do it, and then improve the people that are doing
2: it. And What about Georgia? Obviously, this isn't going to be the biggest challenge. And, you know, for the Bulldogs going forward. If it is, then then this season is going to be a, a, a train wreck of a disappointment. Georgia's going to win on Saturday in Fayetteville. If you're a Georgia fan, what are you looking for to see that? Hey, we're going to have a chance to be the team that we think we can be.
3: Well, it's the quarterback position, and I think it's going to be Mathis, and I want to see how he plays. He's an athletic, long guy that I think they want to run some RPO and get him out of the pocket and do some things that will allow them offensively to improve their ability to move the football because just the downhill run, the power run, the power series, the play up front has been good. It's been championship level good, but their inability against the best opponents to be able to counteract that. If you're going to load the box and have a good job of bubbling that run outside and and slowing down the run, then what? Then what can you do? Can you get the quarterback run? So I think how much are they going to implement the quarterback in the run game? How effective will he be throwing the football or for RPOs? How much they show or put in? We may see a lot. We may see a little bit on kind of the built-in bubble screens and the things that they're going to do. So I'm really excited to see what they do with the quarterback position and who the quarterback is, although I kind of think I know, but I don't know. I want to see that. The rest of it, whether I see it Saturday night or not in full swing, Neil. They're going to be very good defensively. This is as good a defensive team as there is in America, depth-wise, talent-wise. They can run it with multiple backs. The only variable is their quarterback position, and I think you they don't have a chance to be better. I do not. I don't. I, he hadn't had enough practice, or I, d- I don't think they will. I don't know if we'll see him. If he's cleared, I'd be surprised if he started. From what they tell me, just hadn't been cleared with enough work at this point. So, I don't know. Um, they've been very hush-hush. I would be surprised if it's not DeJuan Matthews.
2: Interesting. All right, Alabama at Missouri. A game can be seen on ESPN at 6 o'clock. And we'll talk about these games more on uh, Friday. It'll be the day before college football gets started in this part of the country. We might even talk a little bit about just the emotion of getting football back after a summer of being... Fearful of not having football in this part of the country. It appears that we're going to have it. Alabama at Missouri. Again, Alabama a 28-and-a-half point favorite, Chris. Alabama's going to go 1-0. and They're going to beat Missouri in Aliyah Drinkwitz's debut. But if you're a Mizzou fan and you're watching this game after some of the disappointment of the last couple of years with with Barry Odom, they go out and they have a kind of an odd coaching search that ends up with Aliyah Drinkwitz, who uh, I can tell you was a guy that I can say this now. Uh, Ole Miss really liked Elijah Drinkwitz. I think, had Lane Kiffin been off the board, had Lane Kiffin taken the Arkansas job quickly when it was offered, and I know people argue about whether a job was offered or not, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, Had Lane Kiffin been off the board, Elijah Drinkwitz might be in Oxford right now. He's at Missouri. If you're a Mizzou fan, what are you looking for in terms of um, in terms of him his the product that he puts on the field against the Look, they're the class of the SEC until someone proves they aren't in Alabama.
3: I think it's much like Arkansas against Georgia. I think it's competing. I think no one's going to say this, but not getting embarrassed because this is a game where you could get embarrassed. I think um, these are Missouri and Arkansas are long-term builds. You've got to get recruiting up to where – look, I mean, I, <clears throat> we've got a model in the league, Kentucky. Um You know, you certainly could look at Missouri and Arkansas. Much better football pedigree and background than Kentucky. You know, if you are patient there and you're willing to understand that it's a long build and you recruit and develop because you're not going to out-recruit the upper tier teams in the conference, but you've got to be able to creatively find your niche and find guys and develop guys so that you can have that guy that's in the program for three and four years in rare in today's world, five years, and and you got something to where it's a finished product. So this is very early for both of them to be able to display any of that. You really can't. So I think maybe having, um, you've got a great linebacker, maybe as good a linebacker as in this league at Missouri, can you build around him, can you do enough defensively to be competitive, to slow down this running game? How much are you going to have to commit to stop the run? It's what you're going to have to do this year against Alabama. And then how can you hold up? Um, I, I just think it's a game that will gradually get out of hand, competing and fighting for four quarters, uh, having some individual you know, step-ups. I mean – to me, what I look for is how clean of a game can you play, in Missouri. You can get out personnel and will, but do you do things? And this tends to happen. Teams that are not as good, that are not as physical, they tend to, you know, make more mistakes. They tend to take more chances, which creates more mistake opportunities. Right. So, how clean of a game can you play? Uh, do you have a lot of penalties and mistakes? Because you've got to do all the little things well. Can you flip the field on special teams? Can you find a way to cover kits? You know, can you give your offense a short field to work with? Things like that that you can build upon and go into the film room and say, look, this is what we got to do to get better. Because when you are teaching your team, you are not saying, guys, we need to get better talent than all of these jokers. <laughs> you go in and yeah. say, this is what we got to do to get better. That's coaching. But the reality is they need to get better players. But better players with a culture of how we're going to do it, how we're going to teach it, what we're going to demand, is what they need to do. So I'm looking for how it looks. Uh how consistent, you know, and I not just this game, but all year long for Missouri,
2: Arkansas. The game, Chris, that, according to the betting lines, is the most competitive, and the game that if this were not a COVID year, we would be talking about this game a lot more because coaches, careers, jobs could ride on it, reputations could ride on it, momentum could ride on it. There's a lot here in a normal year. This is not a normal year, but it still feels like a big game for both teams, and that's Tennessee, a three-point favorite at South Carolina. That game at 6.30. Central Time, seven thirty Eastern. There in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, you can see it on the SEC network. It's an interesting contest. It's, it's a game that, if in a normal year, this is a big moment for Will Muschamp, and in a normal year, this is an opportunity for for uh, uh, the, the pe- Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee to to say, "Hey, we might not be all the way back, but we're ready. We're 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 ready to get." we're ready to strike and we've we've passed the carolinas and the kentuckys of the division we're we're sitting here third and we're about to build some momentum and and look out florida look out georgia here we come they can't say that if they lose in in columbia
3: yeah no i think you're right and you know um, a couple of things that jump out at me for south carolina can you figure out a running game you know i think defensively what they do is pretty standard and pretty effective provided their personnel matches up Which sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't depending on the game, but offensively got to be able to run the football better. What is the offense going to look like with Mike Bobo? How balanced, how consistent that's been the biggest issue with will. That's been the biggest problem that will has had is his inability to hire well on the offensive side and the instability's killed. So, you've got South Carolina and I do think at home, I do think Tennessee goes into the game with a little bit more going for it, but it is at South Carolina. So that helps to narrow the game down a little bit, at least in my mind. So how will South Carolina play it? Will has surprisingly got his team playing well in games. When you think, "Mm," just when you count them out and just when you think they're got on the right track, that's when they lay an egg. Um, and you just don't know. I mean, last year, let's remind folks that South Carolina had it going against North Carolina for a, a half. And then that's when Sam Howell just kind of torched them apart. And as a true freshman, I mean, a guy that was in high school the previous year is taking them on two long drives against that South Carolina defense. And that began the uprising of, you know, until the, the season, you know, finished out for North Carolina. That was, oh man, look at Mac. He's got it going. So I'm, I'm wondering about how this South Carolina is going to respond to all the issues and all the questions for Tennessee and Jeremy. There's this assumption and folks, I will warn you, there's no carryover just because you finish strong. Doesn't mean you don't pick up where you left off last year. You start over. So are the issues, which the feeling internally and by their fan base is, look, he had problems last year, kind of getting things on track and he kind of lost the team, but he righted the ship. And let me remind you, and I was looking at the bowl game a couple of days ago against Indiana. Indiana Indiana blew that game. I mean, they just totally blew that game. So here's the thing, Tennessee fans and Jeremy Pruitt is, is how will this look like from the beginning? This is a game you're capable of going on the road and winning. Who's the third best team in the East, I was asked yesterday on another on another show. It's a good question. I'll ask you because to me, I would say I'm having a hard time deciding between Kentucky and Tennessee, and I might give a slight edge to Kentucky because I know what Kentucky is. I think Tennessee has the personnel to be number three in the East this year, but I need to see it. I need to see it to start and I need to see it to finish. I still worry about the quarterback position there. How effective can they be? I like the offensive line. I think they could run the football. I think they're a, a year deeper into that defensive system. Toyota is really good linebacker, one of the more underrated players in this league, but I want to see it from the start. I think as much as I like, and I did say Kentucky Auburn, this is game number one for me that I'm most intrigued by and yeah. maybe the most telling for the two teams and the two programs this year.
2: It's the game other than the game that I'm, you know, covering that I'm paid to write about and talk about and that being Florida Ole Miss, it's the game that I'm interested to turn on. I'll be probably done with my work by six 30 and I'll uh, pour something into a glass and turn that on. And I'm interested to see it. I'm, I am not ready to crown Tennessee. I didn't see enough last year to go. Oh yeah, they're back, and I'm probably less inclined than others, and maybe it was just because I like Will Muschamp, I'm less inclined than others just to blindly write them off. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I they got work to do, and they were disappointing last season. There's no way around that, but I don't know that the gap between the vault and Vegas agrees with me very clearly. I don't know that the gap between the Vols and the Gamecocks is as big as some Tennessee fans want to believe it to be.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. And let me just say this because we're kind of early in the process, but for the fans that – look, I'm not a fan. I look at this just – I don't care who wins games. I look at personnel. I look at schemes, coaching. And so a lot of times we're living in a world I notice, Neil, where – you know, fill in the blank. My team is they're gonna be a lot better. We're underrated. Nobody's giving us credit. I mean, I get uh, the Alabama. Field, nobody gives us any credit. No, you're right. Nobody ever gives Alabama any credit. Or, nobody gets, you know, to me, and this is from my background, <laughs> folks. Uh as he and by the way, this is all the, the reason why you should be watching us on Twitch live as we take this. Because you see a helmet that gets flashed up there. We're not going to even tell you about it. You go watch it on TV slash Chris Landry football. So if you're listening to this on podcast, that's great. We want you to listen, but we also want to watch, want you to watch it on Twitch as he is putting on the helmet, another helmet. He's got more helmets in there than I do uh, in, in my office, you but like I, 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 yeah, I do. I do. Uh, you got an ANF on it. You don't have a little ANF sticker on it. ANF. No. A little, okay. Just a good old Iowa Riddle. So you know, one of the things I believe in it goes into my scouting and coaching background is I need to see it. I need to do it. the The potential may be there, and that's what you know, scouting and, and evaluation. But to do it, this is what it's all about, and this is what is fun this week is we're gonna find out who can do it and who can't.
2: Yep, no doubt. All right, uh, we'll get to the last. We'll we'll leave we'll leave the the, the Donnie Brook for for Friday. We'll get to Vanderbilt and texas a and m and all of the many things to look for in that game <laughs> you gotta if you're not an a and m fan or a Vandy fan or if you don't have a kid on one of those teams, <laughs> hard to believe you're picking that game on <laughs> Saturday night. Unless you're Just too drunk to find the remote, and you're like,
3: oh. uh, "Hey, thank you. I'll I'll be having you on one. I've got. I'll be on. That'll be on monitor six. That won't be on uh, in my top five uh, games at one time watching. No.
2: All right, thinking. that does it for uh, this edition of SEC football and beyond. We'll be back on Friday. It will be football Eve here in the SEC. An exciting time. We'll talk about. Uh, we'll talk about some of the other games nationally to look at. Might even look at the NFL slate a little bit. I'll see if I can get some picks out of out of Chris Landry here. Sure. We'll look at some point spreads, updated point spreads on Friday. So there will be a lot to get to as we move ever so closer to the Southeastern Conference 2020 college football season. We're excited about it. I know you are too. So for Chris Landry, I'm Neil McCready. Talk to you on Friday. Have a great week. Take care.